1: And welcome to Health and Safety Conversations. You're with Tom Bourne. I'm your host today. And today with me is Nicola McPhail. Nicola, I'm wondering if you could tell us a little bit about your industry, your current position, and what led you into your industry?
0: So at the moment, I'm involved in what's sort of collectively called emerging aviation. But I think sort of colloquially, it's just called drones. So drones for surveillance for monitoring agricultural purposes, that kind of thing. And we also get a little bit involved in these ideas of promoting advanced air mobility for things like air taxis. So it's, it's all things drones, really, at the moment. I, I work for a drone management consultancy called Hover UAV. I got into it because I was a pilot in the crew world, just to make that distinction between <laughs> drones and, and traditional aircraft where the pilot is actually in the aircraft. As opposed to a drone, where the pilot is on the ground, I was a pilot for in the actual aircraft for about 12 years. Um, started out flying sort of little little airplanes around the Okavango Delta, basically at the runway for, for giraffes for landing, that kind of thing. So right out in the bushes. Moved on to sort of charter bigger airplanes into places in Africa where tourists don't usually go, and then um, recently before joining the drone management consultancy, I was. Um, with Virgin Australia on their 777 over to Los Angeles.
1: Excellent, excellent and you uh, changed industry slightly because of the COVID uh, situation?
0: Yeah so I was made redundant along with a lot of other fellow Virgin Australia pilots and but I'd had a bit of drone experience before. In between my traditional aviation career I'd sort of gone into drones a little bit so I already had my drone license and I understood how how the system works and sort of regulations around the system as well. Um, So because I'd already had that experience I was quite useful to Hover UAV.
1: Excellent. Because of your aviation background do you think that gives you a different perspective than most people on safety in the workplace?
0: Well I think it's not just aviation. I think it's any person who's experienced the type of operation that where safety is of paramount importance so uh, oil and gas would have a, have a similar experience to, us to, to people who are involved in aviation because you can cause a lot of damage very very quickly in these industries so you've got to be careful you've got to do things safely and so in the back of your mind you're not only can you do damage to other people you can do damage to yourself and that's an outcome you want to avoid so these very sort of Regulated and process-driven industries produce people that have that idea in the back of their mind that they need to work safely. More so than if you spent your entire career in banking, where mm-hmm. you're unlikely to cause damage. You may trip and fall down the stairs; that only hurts you, doesn't doesn't hurt anybody else.
1: Yeah, became a pilot at a time when there were not many female pilots in the industry. Uh, what sort of challenges did you face into pushing into becoming a pilot?
0: Yeah, that's a question I I do get asked a lot in various ways. I think that my experience was probably no different to a male pilot who had just gotten their license and was building hours, because there's a well-beaten path to a career as as an airline pilot. You know, you go and fly like small aircraft and you build up your hours and, and your, your credibility and you move on to larger and larger aircraft and that's the sort of traditional way of building an airline career and when you get those early jobs, it's it's sort of word of mouth, it's somebody vouching for you and I think, I don't think my experience was very different, it was a very typical experience, you know, making friends, turning up early, going the extra mile gives you that credibility and therefore it it allows people gives people the confidence to recommend you for other jobs so I relied a lot on other male pilots because of the fact that there were so many of them in the industry and look I think that it could have been very easy for people to dismiss me but they then therefore didn't play a role in that development of my career it was the people who supported me did and they were also men so so from that point of view it was a very typical aviation experience. I I do think though that when you get to the sort of airline level, because it's so controlled and the interview and recruitment process is so kind of data driven and behaviourally driven, there's almost very well there's very little prejudice. There, there can be very little prejudice because it's such a data driven and behavioural process.
1: Okay. Changing roles from being a pilot to moving into corporate management where you're the chief financial officer at the moment. What sort of challenges do you face there?
0: Look, I think if I can sort of segue that from the earlier conversation is that because um, when you look at aviation, your promotion to command from the first officer position is all based around merit and how well you perform in simulators and things like that and how much experience and seniority you have. You experience probably, I'd say, less discrimination as as a woman. So I think you experience more discrimination outside of, of roles in aviation. Because I was a chartered accountant before I flew, I've got that basis of technical knowledge. Mm. And so the way I see things when you take on a leadership role – You've got to have both that technical knowledge and understanding of what the role entails, which I had a solid basis for. And then you've also got to understand how to manage people, how to train them, and how to provide resources to them. And that's something that I learned from being a pilot. It's it's sort of like, well, I can't fly this airplane safely from Sydney to Melbourne. If the the aircraft isn't working, there's a system failure. It just can't happen. So I need to be resourced adequately, and also need to be trained, and I need to be trained in the policy. And so all those kind of soft skills that aviation teaches you are a really great complement to the two sides of leadership.
1: Excellent. All right, something that's close to my heart and maybe a few few listeners. Um, Do you think the current restrictions, lovely CASA restrictions, placed on recreational drone flights and on operators are justified?
0: I think it depends on how they're implemented. I do think CASA, for the most part, have the safety of everybody in Australia who may be exposed to drones at heart. And I do think that they're coming from a good place. I think that it's approached in terms of just handing out fines and excluding drone operators who break the rules from being able to fly their drones that would be a terrible outcome. I think if they if they're implemented from a, a sort of a training and a point of view where they can actually educate drone users, that would obviously be a first-class method of getting those rules in force. So I think it boils down to the implementation of how it goes, rather than what the actual rules are. Excellent,
1: excellent. All right, now for some very quick questions, just safety-related. Complete this sentence: Safety is important to me because.
0: Because, and I'm going to make it a really long sentence, because often doing the safe thing is also doing the profitable thing. (laughs) And I've got Air Malaysia in mind here where, um, you know, where they had two sort of major incidences very close to each other. They lost an aircraft in Ukraine and then obviously MH370 went down. And gosh, that hit their bottom line real hard. Doing the safe thing is doing the right thing for everybody.
1: Yeah, I wish I could. (laughs) I might actually use that as a great quote. Doing the safe thing is quite often a profitable thing. It's something that a lot of people <laughs> just don't get. I, yes. I I go back to Dreamworld. Yes. However many people dead, theme park shut down for 45 days. Yeah.
0: I, I know. absolutely, the the financial the financial managers of Dreamworld must have been tearing their hair out.
1: Absolutely. Safety culture. What does it mean to you?
0: Oh gosh. Safety culture. I see, I go back and forth on safety culture about whether it really exists or not, and I think that it probably does, but it's really underspecified a lot of the time. Because I mean, what is cult- Like, what culture to you? For me,
1: uh, culture is a set of beliefs and practices a group of people adopt as their own.
0: Yeah. And I think, like, a lot of definitions go around that, like, I I just boil it down to the way we do things around here. (laughs) This is the way we, we do things. So, yeah, I think from that point of view, I suppose safety culture does exist because are you following the rules because someone's watching you? Or are you following the rules because it lands up that that's the right and profitable thing to do and you understand that innately? as part of your role i'm not sure i'm really answering this question i'm still kind of struggling with that one a bit I, I think it does exist to to some extent but i i just wonder how much of a difference it makes in terms of the outcomes you can achieve
1: mm. you said something which is something that i i actually train which i i personally believe is safety culture is can boil down to it's just the way we treat safety around here yeah it, it really it's one of those things that how serious or how laxer you are with it, I just think it's a set of beliefs and a set of how we actually react to safety and how seriously we treat it here. So yeah.
0: I- no, I was just going to say, it always makes me think about Tony Hayward, who was the he was appointed CEO of BP, and he had all these – his, his great slogan was, was very safety-driven, and he wanted to – put safety at the front of everything BP did which I think I think you'd agree is a good thing like that mm. that's the thing he should have done and so what he did was implemented all these rules I mean right down to you couldn't drink um a takeaway coffee without the lid on it I mean everything was regulated and then three years later the Deepwater water horizon went up <laughs> and it's like well how did he get from being so focused on safety to having one of the, almost the worst disasters in the world happen under his watch. And I think the, the answer lies in the report, and, and that is that people then stopped thinking about safety holistically and what their roles were and being able to take in information and understand what to do with it, and then started blindly following those rules. And so, because they weren't able to recognize the telltale signs of disaster because they've been reduced to rule followers, they already went up.
1: Mm. All right. No, oh, that was good. Being a safety trainer, this is always important to me. If you could get in the safety trainers across Australia to focus on one more one safety issue or one topic that you feel is like being neglected, what would it be and why? Ah,
0: one issue that's being neglected. You have to think about
1: this. That's all right. We can come back to it. Yeah, let's come back. <laughs> All right. What do you believe are the safety concepts or the safety ideas that workers struggle to understand?
0: I think that workers probably see a lot of the safety rules or, or there's a, a lack of appreciation for the rules being written in blood in terms of, you know, in aviation, people have died for the rules that we have. Mm. and and it's not true certainly of everybody but the impression i get is that oh here's another rule it's redundancies on redundancies this is ridiculous but they are they're there they were written in blood and they they were they're there for a reason they're there because by not doing those things or following certain procedures people have caused damage and and people have died for them that's right not every single rule they might have just lost a toe but (laughs) but, still blood i do i yes (laughs) yes <laughs> still love. <blood. laughs>
1: all right yeah but that
0: goes back to to a lack of i mean is that is that their fault or is that the fault of not explaining the rules properly and giving people an understanding of why they need to follow the rules that they have to
1: yeah i think you're right i think it's a matter of uh if people can't see they're re- it's relevant to them they yes. look at safety procedures as just an extra burden. They have to an extra job they have to tick off before they can do their real work. So yeah, I think you're yes. right. All right, harmonisation—the process of creating same same laws across Australia. Do you think it's worked? And if so? Um,
0: uh, I think that trying to do trying to create harmonisation is a good thing. I think it makes it easier, and it makes you know businesses who have to operate under the rules can be more efficient because the rules are the same everywhere. I don't think it, it has worked terribly well because there are these differences at the margin that seem to get bigger and bigger. You mm-hmm. know, it, it, like this, this idea of, of dream world that you mentioned earlier, where people lost their lives. And so this idea of industrial manslaughter came out, but because they're not harmonized across the entire country, they don't trickle down everywhere.
1: Yeah. And I, I'm, I'm guessing it makes it hard for businesses to operate around Australia when they have to follow different sets of laws in different jurisdictions.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's just an, an administrative burden that, that I think businesses don't need because there's enough administrative burden for them to operate under as it is.
1: Yeah, excellent. All right, one that you may or may not know, safety slogans. There's a million of them out there. I'm sure you've worked <laughs> at some organisations with them. Is there one that stands out to you that you just don't like or can't stand?
0: <laughs> uh, I have to say I hate all of them. And the reason I hate all of them is because I feel like leaders or managers or whatever safety departments put them up and think that that is their safety culture. And and you're not going to get there just, just by of a poster that is for sure not a way to get a safety culture going but i think uh, safety is everyone's responsibility it annoys me so much
1: <laughs> because
0: because because you if it's everyone's responsibility then it's no one's responsibility because if i look at that and say oh it's everyone's responsibility you know what's to stop me from thinking oh well i, I won't stick up my hand and make any changes because it's also someone else's responsibility so i can't I can't possibly be held held responsible for not speaking up about safety issues.
1: Yeah, I, I agree with you 100%. All right, a couple more and then we'll finish up. What's the one safety story, if you have one, that's actually stuck with you and resonates with you?
0: Oh, safety story. I think, well, look, going back to aviation, there's uh, this is idea that, you are you're relying on your entire crew to give you information about what's going on at all times and you're only one person and and you've also got tasks as the captain. So you can't possibly see everything that goes on. And I you you get taught you need to rely on the on the cabin crew to give you information about what's going on in the cabin and and around you on the ramp on the ground. And it was never never really I stood I understood it intellectually but I really felt I understood it for one day when we were boarding people on an aircraft, and one of the cabin crew came up to us and said, "There's people running through a hole in the fence, just getting on our airplane. <laughs> I was Like, yeah, okay, that can't be right. <laughs> they haven't been screened. <laughs> we don't know what they're carrying, and they're just getting on it. We don't even know if they've bought tickets, uh, which has legal ramifications, obviously. And so we stopped the boarding process and they were fer- ferreted around to the airport. And then when the cabin crew explained why they were there with the passengers who climbed through the hole, the airport manager looked at him and said, well, look, our scanning equipment doesn't work anyway. It's all for show. <laughs> it, it, was, um, it was kind of it kind of learned a lot there. It's like, listen to your crew. And... Uh, Point out the deficiencies because you never know what else you're going to uncover.
1: <laughs> yep, yep. And I, what I,
0: else don't I know?
1: I could tell you a story about Brisbane Airport and scanning equipment, but probably not live. <laughs> All right. A couple, couple of questions to finish up. What's on your desk right now that is personal and important to you and why is it?
0: I am a real saddo and I literally have nothing personal on my desk. I don't even keep my phone on my desk when I'm working. Wow. <laughs> because <it's> a distraction. <laughs> if I need to go and use my phone, I kind of get away from the desk, use the phone and come back. Look, it's only five meters away from me, but oh, sorry, five feet away from me. But I, um, yeah, no, it's pretty barren. Pen, paper and my computer literally is on my desk. <laughs>
1: Excellent. All right. In your opinion, what will safety in the workplace look like in 10 years time?
0: on the industry i think that because so many industries are focused on this idea of safety it it can only be better than where it is now and by better i mean there'll be people who've moved through the ranks and have that solid understanding of what the operation looks like in their industry or or company and then what the safety management of that should be and i think we're going to see these types of safety roles requiring some kind of operational experience you know not just someone who's gone and done a certificate in safety and is now the safety manager but someone who really understands what it's like to work in that industry and and what some of the challenges are that workers face you know why are they why are they cutting corners why are they not wearing their hivers those sorts of things will definitely be will be a change and a change for the better
1: excellent all right we might wind up there thanks very much for your time today nicola and just on the first night, congratulations on becoming an Australian citizen recently. Thank you, Tom. All right, thank you. <laughs>